0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. I want to say this as we get started, man. Just so grateful as we reflect on a day like today that we live in a nation that is free. And as we come off a week of VBS, we get the opportunity uh, to pour Jesus into our kids. uh, What an incredible week, in fact, that it was. You know, I got to thinking about over 270 kids this past week, over 150 volunteers, and the most exciting news of all, over a dozen kids profess faith in Jesus Christ, which is the greatest news by far. We get to do so. Because 247 years ago, 56 brave men signed a declaration of independence on behalf of 13 United States of America. And by doing so, declaring our independence from the tyrannical rule of King George III of England. Patrick Henry One of our founding, early founding fathers, and one of the ratifiers of the U.S. Constitution, famous for saying, give me liberty or give me death, also said this one time, and I want to share with you. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. You know, I got to thinking after reading that, and we don't have politicians who talk like that much anymore, do we? And what a shame. I got to thinking that it seems long gone, the days where our nation as a whole has embraced the gospel And to be honest with you, we see those those devastating effects all around us, don't we? Just turn on the news. Look on social media. Look around at our communities. As we celebrate this declaration of independence signed on July 4, 1776, we do so keenly aware that we are living under the threat of a new era of tyranny. Today's tyrant does not reside in England Rather, he roams the earth, and as 1 Peter 5, 8 reminds us, as a roaring lion seeking to someone to devour. He's waged war, not via the means of taxes, but this tyrant has waged war on the very truth of God and his word. He has sowed confusion among our people and, and threatens to tear our nation apart our families, our communities, our churches apart at the seams. In fact, this tyrant isn't new to us at all. He's a tyrant of old. We see glimpses of this tyrant, these first glimpses of him. His assault on truth very early on, really far earlier than the dawn of our nation, rather at the dawn of all time. A book of Genesis codifies for us This creation narrative, the account of how God created the heavens and the earth, understanding God's chief creation, his crowning creation was man. And we see in Adam and Eve. But watch this in Genesis chapter 2. And it says this in verse 15 that the Lord God took the man he had put and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, I love this, you are free. You are free to eat of any of the the trees in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now as we look at this first recorded conversation between Adam and Eve, we see some of the first words that God spoke to Adam. In those words, you are free. Can I remind you that God created you and I to enjoy freedom in Him? But we also must note here that our Creator tied our freedom to proximity to Him and obedience to His Word. Hey, can I remind us today that there is no freedom apart from God and from His Word? They were free to eat from any tree but one. And here it is. God... His word has been spoken. His truth has been established and determined. Because if you break his word, you will certainly die. Now enters that old tyrant who goes by the names like the tempter in Matthew chapter 4 verse 2. In fact, in the chapter we've been camped out at here in John chapter 8, we find what Jesus would say about him. Speaking of that tyrant, the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. And the Bible says, and Jesus is the father of lies. You see, this tyrant's reign of terror began by attacking God's word. And we see this played out in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent The assault on truth by the tyrant of untruth and his tyranny of lies all wrapped up in the form of a snake. Listen to his opening statement here in verse 1. Did God really say, thus beginning to sow confusion about God's word and truth and the validity of God's word. And you know that question, did God really say, has echoed throughout the generations, hasn't it? We see it played out in our cultures, our community, and sadly, even in our churches. For instance, did God really say that marriage is the union of one man and one woman in a covenant-committed relationship for life? Did God really say that? Hey, did God really say he created the male and female, that our God-determined, our God-given gender is to his glory and our good? Did God really did You really say that? Did God really say that Jesus is the, the only way to heaven? Did God really say that life begins at conception? Did God really say that, you know what, before you move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend, make sure they're your husband or wife? Did God really say that you ought not give your girlfriend wife privileges and your boyfriend-husband privileges? Did God really say you have to go to church? Did God really say, did God... Really say? You see, he's been sowing that confusion. He's been working those lies ever since this moment in the garden. Hey, and by the way, just in case you were wondering the answer to all those questions of God really, did God really say the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes, God said it. There's a book a friend told me about, interesting read. Um, the book is entitled, now it's, it's catchy, so, so kind of hang with me here. And it's this, how do you kill 11 million people? It's probably not like a read that you want your kids to read, right? It just doesn't seem very enticing. But Andy Andrews writes this book and really explores how Adolf Hitler of Nazi Germany was able to rise to power and lead so many people to do unspeakable Acts of evil. And here was his conclusion, you ready? How is it that you kill 11 million people? And here's what he said, you ready? You lie to them. You lie to them. He quotes Adolf Hitler in his book. Here's what Hitler said, How fortunate for leaders that men do not think. Make the lie big, make it simple, keep saying it, and eventually they will believe it. look no further than the politics of our day to know that this is still at work. Still see this. But I want you to hear me. This tactic of lying did not originate with that tyrant named Hitler in Germany, but with the tyrant of untruth in the garden. And we watch as he unleashes his tyranny of lies against Eve. Watch this in verse 4 of Genesis 3. You will not certainly, listen, you will not certainly die The opposite of what God said. The servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be what? Like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she she took some, she ate it, and then she gave it to her husband. And he ate it too. In verse four, the tyrant of untruth lies to Eve. You will not certainly die. In verse five, he then tempts her to be like God. In a sense, he's saying to her, you be the God of your life. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. Hey, goodness, In that temptation alive and well today? This is where freedom is found, the tyrant tempts. Freedom from God, freedom from his truth, freedom to be the god of your life and to create your own truth. Hey, can I remind you something? The devil doesn't deal in freedom. Slavery is his trade of choice. And yet that is how the tyrant has that tyrant of old how he has enslaved man since the beginning of time. And so in John chapter 8 here stands Jesus. He's at the feast of tabernacles, the backdrop Of the candelabras that light up the night sky. And he declares to the world and to those there that day. I am the light of the world. Whoever uh, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. But have the light of life. And it is here that we find Jesus takes some of his first shots of revolution. Against the tyrant of untruth and his tyranny of lies. So let's pick back up today. With Jesus in the temple courts. And here's what the Bible says. Where we left off last week, even as he spoke, many believed in him. And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, watch this, you ready? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know what Jesus is doing? He's laying down, he's giving to us the blueprints for freedom. And here simply it is. You ready? Our freedom is found by declaring dependence upon him. Hey, by the way, don't you love the phrasing, the truth will set you free? And so too, the secular society. This phrasing of John eight thirty two is inscribed on many law buildings. It adorns the mantles at many university law departments. In fact, this is a wall in the CIA. It's hard to see. But they too have included Jesus' words on a wall inside the CIA. But as in all things, context is key. There is no truth that will set you free except for abiding in the truth found in Christ and his word. Today's text reminds us, truth is not established by culture, nor does it evolve over time across centuries. Truth is not founded on felt needs or or fleshly desires. Truth cannot be created by humanity, nor can it compromise to appease humanity. It does not change, and truth will not conform. You ready to catch this? Truth emanates from our Creator God. It is embodied in Jesus And it is illuminated and made effectual by his spirit in us. And so we have blueprints here in John chapter 8 for freedom. So how do we fight against this tyrant of untruth? How do we topple his tyranny of lies? Well, to borrow from this July 4th holiday weekend, we must declare our dependence on Christ and the truth found in this word. Simultaneously, we must declare our independence from the tyrant of untruth and his tyranny of lies that are ruining our nations, our families, infiltrating our churches, and destroying lives. And here's a little side note here. I just got to rant for a minute, okay? Just, just a little rant like you're stuck in line waiting for Bucky's, right? So we're, we're just going to rant just a little here. A church that preaches anything but the truth, a church that compromises biblical convictions in order to cave to culture, to coddle sinners, or to corrupt the teaching of God's Word is no longer a church. Rather, it is a cultural sinner that has surrendered, surrendered to the tyrant of untruth and succumbed to his tyranny of lies. Thomas Sowell, a fellow at John Hopkins, or at the Hoover Institute, once said this, and I love this. When you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell people what they want to hear. Too many churches are helping themselves at the expense of people's soul. As a church, we are in it to help people find Jesus who is truth himself. Paul called it out. In his letter to Timothy, watch this. I love this this in 2 Timothy 4.3. For a time will come when the people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Hey, can I tell you something? For the time will come, for the time is now in America. For the time is now. Charles Spurgeon was right when he wrote this. A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. And the time is today in America. As a church, we must continue to feed the sheep by feasting on truth. All right, enough of that rant. Sorry. Hey, speaking of truth, You might be asking yourself, what do you mean by truth? And I heard a professor once teach on this. And I thought it was really good. And here's where truth is at its very heart. Truth is conformity with reality. And Jesus, God in the flesh, is the ultimate and the greatest reality in the universe. So truth is found and truth is freeing when we conform our hearts and our minds and our very lives. To the reality of who Jesus is and to what his word says. Hey, and this is important to note as well about truth. Truth does not demand that Jesus conform to our preferred reality. Rather, it means our willful and our purposeful conformity to his reality, to him. That is where freedom is found. And there's a key word in our text that I want to share with you. In verse 31, we find that that if you abide in my word, Jesus says, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That word abide is so important because so many of us miss it. You see, freedom from God is no freedom at all. Freedom is not found in abandoning God. Rather, it is found in abiding in him and his word. In the Greek language, the word abide means to stay in or to continue in. And so what Jesus is teaching his disciples here is that the key to discipleship, the key to following Jesus, never walking in darkness, is to stay in and to continue in his word. You say, well, Anthony, what does that look like? I'm going to give you four ways that looks like in life. You ready? Number one, what it looks like to abide in him, it means this. To let his word soak in your mind. Number two, to saturate your heart. Number three, to sink down in your soul. And number four, to shape your life. Anthony, what does it mean to, uh, to abide in Jesus? It's allowing his word to soak into your mind, to saturate your hearts, to sink down into our souls and to shape our very lives. But Anthony, how, how, how does that happen? How do we abide? Well, there's two parts to abiding. You ready? Number one, you've got to open the Word of God. Guys, listen. I don't have a 12-step program for you. I don't have 14 points to teach you what it is to abide in Christ. I don't have any other motivation other than the word itself to tell you that abiding in Christ begins by opening the word of God and unleashing it in your every day. Think of what God would say to his people back in Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law, the very scripture they had before them, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful. Watch this. To do everything written in it. Then... You will be prosperous. Then you will be successful. Now, some of y'all read that and go, uh, look, I can't read the Bible. Today. I got a job. I got babies' mouths to feed. I can't read the Bible just day and night. And just do. Hey, listen, that is not the goal or the aim of the text. It's not it. What God is saying is prioritize spending time in his word. And when you get up, when you go to bed, don't neglect it continue to speak its life to others, to share the truth with how you live and with your words. And the prosperity and the success spoken to in this passage is the freedom we find in the truth the word of God contains. Blaise Pascal once wrote this. He said, truth is so obscured nowadays and lies so well established that unless we love the truth, we shall never recognize it. And isn't that right? Don't we see that lived out? That unless we love the truth, unless we open the word of God and we study it and we, we memorize it and we, and we apply it to us. unless we love the truth, guys, we're not going to recognize it. Which leads me to an even more important part of abiding. Like, like we get on board here, right? We, we got to open the word of God. Uh, we we got to know the word of God. But here's where abiding really takes effect. It's not just in opening the Word, but obeying the Word of God. All of us would love if it just stopped there, right? Just open the Word of God and read it, and then you will be abiding. No, no, there is the obeying of the Word. James 1.22, I love this. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Can I tell you one of the greatest problems in the church today in America is we got a lot of people who hear the Word, who read the Word, who know the Word, but man, we have very few who are doers of the Word who walk in obedience to the truth it contains. I got to thinking, you know you can read the whole entire Bible and never obey it? Do you know that you can have Scripture memorized and not abide in it? That you could read your verse for a day and never walk in it? That you could attend church every Sunday and still live under the tyrant of untruth? All if we fail to put that second part of abiding into action. You ready? Here's the key. Truth isn't just to be known intellectually, but it is to be lived out practically. And for too many of us, it's not. It's not. It's in the living out of truth that we find freedom Jesus teaches, not just the knowing of it. John would later write, and I love this, he would say this in 1 John three twenty four. the one who keeps his commandments abides in him. Well, watch this. It didn't say the one who reads the commandments. It didn't say the one who puts the Ten Commandments on a bumper sticker puts it on their car. It doesn't say the, even the one who fights to put the Ten Commandments in the town square The one who keeps his commandments, watch, abides in him. And he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Anthony, I don't know the freedom all the time spoken of in John chapter 8 verse 32. I have but one remedy and one prescription for that. Abide in Jesus. Not only open his word and unleash it in your every day, obey his word. You see, that tyrant of untruth and his tyranny of lies, that old devil, you ready? He lies to us, he lies on us, and he lies against us. And today's text is a reminder that Jesus, he is stronger and more relentless than our enemies. That Jesus will never stop telling us the truth and never stop using his truth to set us free. For Jesus would say, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. And then you'll know the truth. And that truth will set you free. And later on in verse 35, he would say, so if the Son has set you free, you are free And can I tell you that that is truth both in life and in death? I know a man who the Son has set free, who was free indeed. Who abided in Jesus with his life. And I got to watch firsthand this past week. How evident this was in his death. On Sunday night this past week, I was sitting back here with VBS, and we just launched our VBS, and um, Pastor David texted me. So, of course, Pastor David's on our staff, works with College admissions Missions and uh, Missions. Um, his wife, Laura, is a director in our children's ministry. And I got a text from David last Sunday night that Laura's daddy took a real bad turn, unexpected. Um, he got really sick Sunday morning. By Sunday night at 9 p.m., he closed his eyes in death. hearing that they'd called the family and i I drove in and and i went and stood bedside to brother richard this is laura's daddy i went ut hospital and went to one of those fancy icu rooms and there was laura and david and their family you'd have been so proud of miss laura i mean she was so strong for her daddy and she was holding his hand and loving on him it's just really precious to see See, Laura and her mom, Valerie, were at her daddy's side. Her brother over here was standing at the other side of their dad, and I stood at the foot of the bed with, with David. Just had my arm around him. I've been to a lot of these moments in people's lives, and as soon as I walked in, I, I knew, I just knew within minutes of Richard going home to be with Jesus. And so we prayed, and I read, I read the 23rd Psalm over him, and we prayed, and, and his family just loved on him, and, I remember looking at David. David, you'll remember this. We were standing out in the foot of the bed, and I said, David, I, I could tell his breathing had changed, and they turned off the monitors because they would do nothing but alarm. I looked at David and said, hey, it's not much more time. It's close. And soon after that, Richard here. Richard, a man who helped... In his earlier years, he helped found a church. He was a deacon at First Baptist Pigeon Forge for years. Listen, Richard, a man who abided in Jesus with his life. He didn't just open the word of God and unleash it in his everyday. Man, he obeyed the word of God. He walked with him, not in perfection. Guys, listen again, that's not the goal. But in the pursuit of who Jesus is, man, he just loved him. And he followed after him. I watched this saint of God begin to have shallow breaths. And then, he opened his eyes really big. And I thought to myself, oh yeah, this is fixing to be good. And though he was not able, he was just too weak to verbally communicate. He opened his eyes really big. And he looked at his family, you know what he did? I mean, he smiled at them really big. And listen, I didn't know how much that that man's smile could light up a room, but I'm telling you it did. And then he looked away, he looked up, and he smiled again. And then he closed his eyes. And I, I remember telling the family, I, I really think that maybe that first smile was to say goodbye and I'm okay. And that second one was to see Jesus. Because he closed his eyes. And I watched him breathe his last breath. And I said, hey, family. Brother Richard's home. He made it home. Jesus. You go, Anthony, what does it mean to to live out truth? What difference does it make in life? Well, I'm going to tell you something that makes all the difference in death. Because you know what? Although Richard was confined on his last day to a hospital bed, this guy was the freest man in all the world when Jesus came to him. Why? Because with his life, He abided in Jesus and his truth. He unleashed the word of God every day and he obeyed the word of God. And so I'm going to tell you, even on his hospital bed, even with his last breaths, Richard had been set free by Jesus. I remember putting my arm around one of his grandsons. i never met him. In his early 20s. And uh, he was... I, I told him, I said, man, you are snotting all over the place. He was just crying. And all of us were. And right after his granddaddy had, had breathed his last, I put my arm around him. I said, buddy, I said, listen, do you know what nobody has asked of Richard today? He said, what? I said, nobody asked him how much money he made. Nobody asked him about his stocks. Nobody asked him, hey, what was the highest position you achieved? in your life. I said, none of that mattered today. Do you know what mattered most today for your granddad? Jesus. The one he has abided in, the one that he has loved, the one whose word he has obeyed, Jesus mattered most today. I'm going to tell you something. Abiding in Jesus is the best part of living, but it is the only thing that matters when we are dying. And I got to celebrate that with with David and Laura as we got to celebrate her daddy in that hospital room. If you abide in my words, Jesus said, then you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth And that truth will set you free. In verse 35, hey, the Son has set you free. You are free indeed. Hey, they are more than just words on a page. They are words of life and freedom that time and time again I see played out even as believers go home to be with the Lord. And you know what? Here's the truth. Barring Jesus coming back, which I really hope he comes back soon, right after the fireworks tonight would be awesome. Um, I always thought it would be a cool time. (laughs) Barring that, every person in this room will lay in a bed like that more than likely. Every one of us, our breathing will get shallow, our pulse will grow faint, and what will matter the most is did we abide in Jesus? Richard was able to look over at his wife and his daughter and his son, his son-in-law, his grandsons and his family with his final breath to know that he did everything he could to point them to Jesus who mattered most to him in that moment. Abiding in Jesus is not only good for the living, it is all that matters in the dying. Will you abide in him today? Let's pray together, can we? As we pray together, I just... Uh, it's July 4th weekend. I'm going to get you out. and We're not going to do a huge ending today like we normally do. But I cannot pass up an opportunity because some of you fear that bed that Richard laid on. And you fear it because you're not certain what happens after it. You're not certain that you're in Christ. You're not certain that you've abided in him in your life, that all of you open the word and memorize and, and study the truth, but that you obeyed it. And so even this conversation makes you uncomfortable because you fear what happens after that bed. And the beauty of the gospel is you don't have to. You don't, you don't have to.